we are almost finished our sermon series through the book of James. We've been doing this since May 16th. If you've been with us since May 16th, you've heard a lot of reminders of what this book is about. If you've missed the backstory, so I don't have to take time to review today, I'd encourage you to go to our web. Our, first of all, you could go to Facebook Live. The videos are all there, all the way back uh, under our, our, our videos. But also go to our website. And on our website, there's a link. You can watch the videos or listen to the audio there or on your podcast, like Apple Podcasts and others as well. You can catch up with the backstory. But we're not going to review today. We are near the end. We are going to finish our series on James next week. And then after that, we're going to come and start a brand new series in two weeks from today that I'm excited about, but I'm not going to tell you about, even though we have it all ready. We're not going to, you know, mostly ready. We're not going to tell you about it until next week when we finish James. Before today, we're going to wrap this up and, and look at James 5, 16 through 18. And if you were with us last week, let me just remind you that we finished last week's study with James chapter 5 and verse 16. And James 5.16 has two sentences in that verse. And we read them both and discussed them both briefly, but we spent most of our time last week on the first half of that verse, which says that we should confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we may be healed. We focused on that last week. Today, we're going to look a little bit more at the other half of the verse that we just basically glanced at for a few minutes last week, and we're going to go from there. So James 5, verse 16, the second part of that verse says this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's a great statement. The earnest prayer, let me start there, earnest That word earnest means the sincere prayer, the intense prayer, the fervent prayer. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, James makes that statement to us, and then in the next verse, he follows up by reminding his audience of a story that they would be familiar with, a story that was in their ancient history that would back up that statement right there. He brings up the story from ancient Israel. Remember, he's largely writing to a Jewish crowd of believers who were scattered through multiple countries and cities. And, And they would know the story of their history as a nation. And one of the folklore legendary heroes of their nation's heritage was a prophet named Elijah. And he's going to remind them of a story about Elijah that's contained in their Hebrew scriptures that we also have today. We call it our Old Testament sometimes. But uh, in that is the story of their, of their history, including this, um, this person named Elijah. And James is going to refer to a story about Elijah to make the observation in verse 16. That the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So here's what James says next in verse 17. He says, Elijah, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Wow. First of all, can I just say this real quick? That's 
a bold prayer. I mean, seriously, I don't know what kind of prayer you think is bold. He prayed it wouldn't rain for few, it didn't rain for three and a half years. That's a bold prayer. I want you all to look at the person sitting next to you right now and say to them, that's a bold prayer. Go ahead. That's a bold prayer. I don't know what kind of bold prayers you've prayed. That's bold, right? And then it says in verse 18, let's go on, verse 18. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain. So he prays another prayer, the rain comes back. Sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now what is this story? Now James's audience would largely be familiar with the story. It was an historical person. Like some of you are familiar with George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or Benj- Benjamin Franklin. It's like I can't pick on presidents. You know, Franklin was not a president. Someone this week was mentioning a list. They asked them to name the list of presidents. They said they, you could t- know your age based upon if you could name more presidents than Marvel characters or more Marvel characters than presidents. Is that you that we were talking to about that? Someone with that. And so anyhow, someone was trying to name some presidents out loud. And they said, well, you know, Benjamin Franklin, he was not a president, okay? He was just a really cool guy in our history books. And Elijah was not a king. He was not a king in Israel. But he was a very awesome person in the history of the nation. And so the people who read James writing this would know what he was referring to. And maybe you do too because you grew up in a church world that studied the Hebrew scriptures most of your life. But maybe you don't. So I want to tell us the story today. It's found in 1 Kings chapters 17, 18, and 19. And I'm not going to read all the verses to you. We're not even going to put very many verses on the screen for sake of time. But I'm going to put a few verses on the screen. But I want to encourage you to write those chapter numbers down. And if you want some study this week, today at home, or this week, to go further into our sermon, go home and read 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19 this week. Especially 18 and 19. Okay? Here's kind of the story. Israel, at that time, was far from God. At that time, the kingdom had already, many, many generations earlier, suffered a civil war that divided the nation into two. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And ever since that division, the northern kingdom never even had one good king. They just had different bad kings that brought them further and further as a nation away from God. By the time the story that we're telling today arrives, the current king was a man whose name was Ahab. Ahab was a very wicked king. He married a woman named Jezebel who was the daughter of another king from another nation. And with her, she brought their worship from her homeland of Baal. Baal was a special kind of false god or idol that they worshipped as as a deity in in Jezebel's home country where her dad was king. And it was a very wicked form of idolatry. It's not that the, the nation of Israel, that northern kingdom, was already doing idolatrous things and not worshiping or following God anymore. But Baal worship was especially bad because of the child sacrifices and other practices that were finally, just there were very bad things that mistreated other people in this religion. And and, and so then people had drifted far from worshiping Jehovah God and following him and and his ways that taught them how to treat each other well. They lost all of that. And Ahab and Jezebel led the nation. And usually, and we find this over and over again in history, oftentimes when a a, a period of time or a a nation or a, a time period is at its darkest spot spiritually, God raises up some bright lights. God raises up some messengers. 
when the land is dark. And at that time, he raised up a man named Elijah. And Elijah shows up on the scene, and he makes a statement to whoever would hear him. He says that God had told him, and he had prayed, and there would be no rain for the next three and a half years. Now, it doesn't say where Elijah made this announcement, but it was apparently a public announcement. I suspect he probably made the announcement in the city of Jezreel. Why? Because Jezreel was the capital city where Ahab and Jezebel and their, their, their palace, basically, where the kingdom was set up at that time. And so to go there was kind of the hub of it all. And so, so probably at Jezreel, maybe other places, Elijah makes this declaration that there would be no rain for a few years. And probably when people heard that, they thought, who's this crazy guy, right? You always got the crazy ones out there somewhere, running their mouths. Oh, brother. Okay, thanks, crazy person. No rain, you say. Sure. But Elijah didn't stick around to debate it. The Bible tells us that he left the country. He, he left the country. And, and for good reason, because what happens next is this. The weeks start going by and there's no rain. And people are starting to say, hey, Elijah's been right so far, hardy, har, har, but it's, it'll rain soon. And then months are going by and people are starting to say, where's the rain? Well, didn't you hear that one guy said, what one guy? A guy named Elijah. He said there'd be no rain for three and a half years. Now it's been, I'm starting to wonder. Ah, can't be. And the word began to spread as the rain continued to not fall. And eventually it got to Ahab's ears, who's wondering where the rain's at. Well, there's a man named Elijah who's a prophet who said there'd be no rain for a few years. And Elijah hears, Ahab hears it, Jezebel hears it, the whole nation hears it. And months go by and years go by and people are starting to realize something real is happening here. So do you know what Ahab was doing? He was looking everywhere to capture Elijah. Why? I don't know, maybe to kill him? Maybe to try to convince him to reverse the curse? Maybe both, probably. But he couldn't find him anywhere. Well, near the end of this three and a half years, and they don't still believe God, they're just trying to get food. And you know what the king's going to do? By the way, you should know this. This is true for most kings, but especially wicked kings who don't care about the people. They're going to make sure that if there's a food shortage anywhere, there will not be a food shortage where they are. By the time the king runs out of food, everyone else has already run out of food. Because they go out and they gather whatever they can find. They'll go out and they'll, they'll, he'll send his messengers. You bring anything you could find, any water you could find, you haul it back. Let's gather the food. Let's gather the water. Let's just bring everything so that Everyone else can starve, but we're going to be the last ones to survive if it's bad out here. So Ahab's out there gathering food. His servants aren't gathering food. And one of his servants was a man named Obadiah. And Obadiah was a God-fearing man. He was out there looking for food and doing his thing. And all of a sudden, Elijah, who made this declaration about no rain, Elijah appears to Obadiah. And he says, hey, it's me. And I want to see King Ahab. And Obadiah's like, oh man, he wants to find you, but this is a problem. Because if I go back and tell the king that I saw you and you're here, and you do your disappearing act again, he's going to be so mad he's going to kill me. Because he's known for killing people. And, and this, don't get me in trouble, Elijah. I'm a good guy. He says, Elijah, you don't know this, but you should know this. I'm, I'm a God-fearing man. In fact, King Ahab has been killing people. He's been killing people, who uh, prophets of God who won't denounce God and instead worship Baal. He kills them. 
And he says, and, 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 and there's many of them in hiding. In fact, later on, uh, Elijah would find that there was over 7,000 people who refused to do that or were still surviving. But many were killed. And Obadiah says to Elijah, I've personally hid a hundred of them. Fifty men in one cave, fifty in another cave, and I sneak food to them. I'm keeping these prophets of God alive. I'm a good guy here. But if I go tell Ahab that you're here, and I bring him back here and you're gone, you're going to get me in trouble. Don't mess up my life, please. But Elijah says, don't worry, I'm here for the good. Bring, up, bring Ahab. So Ahab shows up and he sees Elijah, and Ahab's like, so... You're the one who's causing trouble in Israel. To which Elijah's like, man, I'm not the one causing trouble in Israel. It's you and your sins. Ahab says, well, what are we going to do? Elijah says, I'll tell you what. I propose a showdown. Let's get everyone gathered outside of Jezreel on Mount Carmel. Let's go up into Mount Carmel. And you bring all the prophets of Baal with you and I'll show up to represent Jehovah God. We'll all show up together. In fact, tell the people. Let the people know. Bring them on up here. And we're just going to have a little powwow and see which God's real. Let's just have a little fun with this. What's Ahab going to do? He just wants the rain to come back. Okay, fine. He goes back to the city, gets all the prophets of Baal, spreads the word. Elijah's back, wants to meet us on top of the mount. Let's go meet him and have this confrontation. The word sneaks out to the city. People are, this is the biggest news going around. There's been a drought. People are spreading the word. Elijah's around. He's meeting the prophets of Baal and Ahab up on the mountain. Everyone shoots up with them. Up on the mountain there, there was an altar that they used to offer sacrifices under their Judaic tradition. There was an altar they offered sacrifices to God. But they had forsaken God and that altar had been broken down. The, the stones had been knocked over. It was in disrepair. There was another altar they had built there that they used to worship Baal. So Elijah was up there waiting by the altar. Up come the prophets that, um, early that next morning. Up come the prophets of Baal. Up comes King Ahab and his entourage. And up come all the people for this morning meeting with Elijah. Everyone gets quiet and waits. And Elijah says this, guys, let's prove once and for all who's God. You've already seen God's power these last three and a half years. Let's find out right now who's God. Is it Baal or is there a monotheistic creator of heaven and earth that we worship? That's the true God. Let's find out. He says, here's my proposal. Let's both take an animal sacrifice, as is our religious custom, lay it on our altar. But instead of setting the sacrifice on fire for a burnt offering, let's leave it unlit and pray to our God. And whichever God is able to send fire down from heaven and consume that sacrifice, that's the true God. And maybe if neither one does, hey, you know. But let's just see who answers our prayer. What do you think, guys? Well, I don't know if the prophets of Baal thought it would work or not, but their strength in numbers, and the king was on their side, and they're like, sure, let's do it. The people are like, sure, let's do it. I have no doubt that King Ahab did at that time what other kings have always done when they went to war. Whenever they went somewhere important, the king would bring his own tent and his own seating and his own servants and a bunch of food so that while everyone else was doing the dirty work, he could sit in his tent and eat. So he has a spread of food up there to spend the day if necessary. The prophets of Baal are getting ready to lay their sacrifice. Elijah lays his on the broken down. I guess ready to do his in a minute. Not yet. And Elijah says to the Baal prophets, you guys pray first. There's more of you. You go first. 
So that morning, those prophets of Baal began to pray and call out for Baal to accept the sacrifice with fire. And of course, hours later, nothing happens. Around noon, Elijah's sitting there. I imagine he's laying in his hammock. He probably had a hammock up there. He's laying in his hammock, sipping on a Coke Zero, (laughs) picking between his teeth with a straw. And finally, he kind of sits up and says, hmm, hey guys, it's noon. No answer, huh? I know, maybe Baal is sleeping, and he's a really sound sleeper. Maybe he's so deep asleep, he's having a really good dream, he doesn't want to wake up. Or maybe he's on a trip. (laughs) He's he's just not home. Guys, maybe he's getting hard of hearing. I know, maybe you should pray louder, and then he would hear you. He's making fun of them, man. He's just trolling them right there. And it's so upsetting to the prophets of Baal that he's trolling them that they begin to get upset. They begin to pray louder. They take sto- sharp stones and they're cutting themselves. They're, gush- they're bleeding everywhere, yelling out for Baal to offer their sacrifice while Elijah just sits back and grins. Nothing happens. At some point in the afternoon, Elijah begins to quietly go over and repair the bricks, repair the blocks, the stones, and the broken down altar of God. Begins to repair the stones on the altar. When he's all done, he lays the sacrifice on the altar while those guys carry on, playing the fool. Elijah digs a little trench around the altar of God, and he waits. And at the right time, he says, okay, guys, you've had your chance. My turn. He said, but I want you to know God means business. So here's what I want you guys to do. Got some water. and some guys. We got four jugs of water over here. We got, we got some water in the king's pan. Of course, the king's got the, whatever water's left. He's got, he's got some water. Bring those four jugs and dump. And basically, they start dumping water one trip at a time all over the sacrifice. Down the sacrifice, saturating the altar and the little trench around it. Just, everything's just saturated with water. Imagine what the people are thinking. They heard, they've, they've seen no rain. They heard Elijah's prophecy. Here he is, been the mystery man gone for all this time. He challenges all these prophets. They've been wailing and cutting themselves, no answer. And now he's dousing his sacrifice in water. That's kind of stupid. Like you're working against yourself. You know? That's like, that's not the way you win. That's like starting Andy Dalton instead of Justin Fields. You don't do that. You, you got to put the right, this is a bad idea. So anyhow, they're sitting back there saying, what's he up to? About that time, Elijah sits back and says, guys, Y'all check this out. And he prays a prayer that I want you to see in 1 Kings 18 and verse 36. At the usual time for the offering, for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. In other words, he's saying, God, show how big you are to these people. Show them how big you are. God, here's the thing. Show these people, not for my glory, When he says, show them that I'm your servant, he's saying, show them that what I'm doing is simply because I am a servant to you because you're a great God worth serving. 
that you are the true God. And I'm doing what you've commanded me to do for your glory. Show them, prove to them that you are God in Israel. And then he says in verse 37, O Lord, answer me. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have brought them back to yourself. Folks, that's a passionate prayer. Isn't it? Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. So the people will know that you want them back. Folks, that's a passionate prayer. Look at the person sitting next to you again and say to them, that's a passionate prayer. Right? I mean, that's what's going on here. Answer me. Let them know. You brought them back to you. Guess what happens next? If you read the story, I encourage you to do it this week. What happens next is suddenly fire falls from above. So hot that it consumes the water and burns the sacrifice on the altar completely up. And the people who've been, who've been building to this crescendo all day long, been sitting there waiting for the rain for, for years now, up in the mountain watching the other guys acting the fool, getting nothing done, and all of a sudden, a water poured over the... I mean, they've watched the whole thing, and when that fire fell, their jaws have dropped, their eyeballs are big, and they're like, what? And they were so caught up. They were as excited as when your favorite team scores the winning Hail Mary drive. I mean, they were so excited, their adrenaline was pouring, they began to yell out. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they were so passionate, they actually grabbed all the prophets of Baal, dragged them down the mountain to where the brook of river used to run through before the drought, and they killed them all. Crazy. And there stood Elijah and his assistant, his servant, and King Ahab and whatever entourage he had, all by themselves while the, while the, the mob carried down the Baal prophets to take care of them. Here's Elijah, his servant, King Ahab, his entourage, and nobody else left on the mountain, just standing there. What a moment. All the people were realizing we've been told to just trust in God and he's, he's the God, he's the Lord. So Elijah looks at Ahab and he has one more thing to do. We find it in verse 41. 1 Kings 18, 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink for I hear a mighty rainstorm's coming. Go sit at your little table, inside your little world tent up here in your little spot. Get, get a meal. Go ahead and eat something. Make yourself a burger. Chicken salad, I don't know. Got a nice burnt offering here. Have, eat something. I hear a rainstorm. I'm going to go pray for rain, is what he's saying. Verse number 42. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He went to the very top at this point. Went to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Picture what Elijah's doing. He's the top and he knows that he's asking a big thing here. He gets on the ground, his knees, he gets down with his head between his knees and he begins to pray. He begins to pray. I don't know how long he prayed, doesn't say. But at some point he gets up and he says to his servant, Go look over the water. Then he said to his servant, go out and look toward the sea. The servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. <laughs> Wait, what? But I prayed. 
One second. He does it again. Gets down and prays again. How long, I don't know. At some point, go back and check the water this time. Guy comes back, nothing. And Ahab, Elijah stands up and takes his mantle and throws it out and says, fine, if you don't care, God. And he storms home and goes, no, that's not, that's not what happened. He prays again. Go check again. Nothing. Praise again. Oh, God, send rain. Check again. Nothing. Ahab's probably had second desserts by now. It's like 11 Z's or something's going on. I don't know. He's just praying. Oh, God, help me. Sends him back again. Six times, nothing. And Elijah's like, fine. I guess God doesn't care. He went home that day and just gave it up. No, he did it a seventh time. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. In other words, I looked over the water to see, and I could see a little bit of cloud kind of popping over the horizon. Just a little one, like a man's hand. So that's all I saw. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you because when that rain's going to come, it's going to be a gully washer. And when it comes, you're going to get stuck in the mud because Ahab had a nice chariot, but it wasn't quite four-wheel drive yet. So he's like, you got to get down. Tell him to get going. And so the servant runs over to tell Ahab to get going. And sure enough, in verse 45, as, as soon the sky was black with clouds, a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Cool. Pretty powerful story. And that's what James was talking about. That's what James was talking about when he said in James 5.16, that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest, sincere, intense, fervent prayer. You say, that's a nice story, James. Thanks for referring it to us. Whoever wrote it back then, that was nice of them to write that story down for us to read. Great. Thanks for reminding us again, James. Hey, Arlen, thanks for telling the story again. That's nice and all. But here's the thing. I'm no Elijah. So I'm glad to hear it, but it doesn't do me much good because that's not me. In fact, it says that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. I don't think I'm that righteous, Arlen. So what good does that do me either? I want to remind you about righteousness in the Bible. The idea of righteousness is an old word that basically refers to being right, being right before God, being right with God, doing the right thing, right? Being right, righteous. And of course, we should do the right thing. We should be the right kind of people. And when we do right, it's a personal righteousness that honors God. But God's word tells us over and over again that the core element to what pleases God is our faith. And our faith makes us right with God. In fact, if you were to read, and I don't have a time for a whole doctrinal dissertation, so here's the short version. If you were to read back throughout the, all the scriptures, including way back in the Old Testament to Abraham. Abraham, God came to him and said, do something. And Abraham believed God enough to do what believing really does. When you believe something for real, you act on it in faith. That's what faith does. Faith is believing and acting on the belief. That's why if you say you believe something but it doesn't change anything in your life, do you really believe it? Abraham believed God, 
And the Bible says that it was counted to him as righteousness in God's eyes. He believed God and his faith made him, in other words, righteous means it made him right with God. His faith made him in right standing with God because that's what our faith does. When we hear God, when we believe God enough to act on what we believe because we believe it, our faith is counted as making us right in God's sight. And in that sense, when we decide to come to God in prayer and do what God says and follow him, you're a righteous person. That verse is talking about you and me, or it can be. It can be you and me. You can be right in God's sight through faith in him, through following him. It doesn't mean perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. We're not perfect. No, Elijah wasn't perfect. It does mean that if I'm following God, if I have faith in him, that when I do stumble as a human, I get back up in faith and I believe that he restores and I keep going. I'm not perfect, but I believe in God. I believe he's there. I believe he cares. I'm aiming for him. And when we're right before God, when we have faith in God and we're right in his eyes, our prayer, when prayed earnestly, has great power, produces wonderful results. You're like, yeah, Arlen, that's nice and all. Maybe I get it. I get it. I'm righteous in that sense. I could be righteous in that sense. So, okay, fine. But here's the thing, Arlen. I'm still not Elijah. Like, you know, Elijah, I mean, there's, there's guys like me and then there's guys like Elijah, you know. Like, he's like that, you know, I don't have Thor's mighty hammer like Elijah seemed to have, you know. Like, this guy's something else next level. Over here, just me, I mean, I'm no Elijah. But that's why James said next in verse 17, that Elijah was as human. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly, there's that word, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. In other words, and don't miss what is being said here, James is reminding us all that God sees you the same way. So you can pray the same way. God sees you the same way as Elijah. You're as human as you are. God sees you, you look, there's no, the ground is level with God. Your faith pleases him too. You're not in an inferior plane. You're not playing from behind. God sees you the same way God saw Elijah. God sees the person that you go to church with and say, oh, they're a great Christian because they tell us how great of a Christian they are or they act the part. It's usually a show, but even if it's not, don't be fooled. Don't be intimidated. God sees you the same way. So you can pray the same way as Elijah. Say, so, yeah, but am I really? Do you want to know how true this is that Elijah was human? If you don't know the, the, the truth of that, you need to read the rest of the story. Let me briefly tell you the rest of the story so you know. In 1 Kings 19, you want to know how human Elijah was? Here's what happens next. When the rainstorm came down and Ahab gets his two-wheel drive chariot back to the city, Elijah didn't take a chariot ride back to town. He didn't even call an Uber. He was so hyped up about what God just did, he ran down the mountain on foot. Think about that. He ran the whole way. You know what I'm talking about pumped? His adrenaline was pumping. Elijah was pumped the same way that you and I get pumped when something awesome happens and God does something big in our lives. I believe that Elijah was as idealistic as many of you and I were when we've served the Lord before and thought we're going to make a difference. As a pastor, I understand this. It's easy to walk into it when you're young and, and excited about life and say, I'm going to make a difference in the world. And Elijah was going to make it. He wanted to be an influencer. 
He wanted to change things. Don't we want to change things? We want to change the world, beat influencers? Elijah wanted to do that. And his whole prayer, those three and a half years, that moment of showdown on the mountain was his moment to change everything, to bring the people back to God, to get Ahab, not just the people, to get Ahab the king come back, to come to God. I think that Elijah expected Ahab to say, oh, 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 I believe now. And go back home and tell Jezebel, and they'd have a big tearful prayer meeting together. They'd all get, they'd all get come to the Jesus moment, you know? <laughs> I mean, he goes back and expects it to be a revival. He was a change in the world. So he's running down the hill full of adrenaline, gets to Jezreel pumped. God used me to make a difference. And the next morning, word gets to him that Jezebel heard the story, but she didn't say, oh, cool. What she said exactly was, may the gods do so to more to me and worse if Old Elijah's not dead and at my feet dead before the day's over. Sent a death warrant out on him. That's not what he expected. That's not how it's supposed to go when you do something awesome and you pray real hard and do all the right stuff. It's supposed to make a difference. You know what Elijah did when, when it, the, the king and queen rejected him and sent a warrant after him? Well, obviously we know what he did. He stood his ground and said, round two, bring it on. Uh-uh. You know what he did? He ran. He ran out of the city. He ran and didn't stop running. He didn't look over his shoulder. Ran like a crazy, hyped up. Like he ran into the city. He ran out of the city. But a day later, he finally collapses. He doesn't stop for a day. Collapses under a tree somewhere and finally prays to God. And do you know what awesome, powerful prayer Elijah prayed there? Let's look at it. 1 Kings 19, verse 4. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. That's Elijah. He prayed, and his prayer was that he would die. Here's his prayer. It tells us, I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer before? I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. In other words, I'm as good as dead as they are. Just take my life now. Take me home. I'm done. End it. Now maybe you couldn't relate to the Elijah praying for fire from heaven. Can you relate to that one? Does that sound a little more familiar to your moments of life? You've been there before? And you know what God does for Elijah in that moment? God shows kindness to him. The Bible says that, 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 that while Elijah sat there wishing to be dead, praying to God, the same kind of prayer, God, send fire from heaven. He's now like, send fire from heaven and kill me with it, you know? Just kill me. I want to die. As Elijah sat there depressed, God sent an angel to him to bring him food and drink and strengthened him and did it as long as it took to get Elijah's strength up to take him on a 40-day trip to Mount Sinai. And for the, next four, for the next month plus, for 40 days he travels, with God sustaining his strength through feeding him, he travels to Mount Sinai. And you would think by the time he got to Mount Sinai that he's all like, okay, sorry about that relapse, God. I had a bad moment there. I was kind of tired. been a long week. I can explain. 
By the time he got to Mount Sinai, he was not all of a sudden Mr. Faith again. He's still doing the whole, take me now, kill me now, I'm done. I've had enough already. So there, 40 days later, he's still in the spot, and God's trying to meet with him. And here's what happens in verse number 9. Then he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? God's just trying to get him to talk. What's going on? Hey, Elijah, what's going on? What are you doing here? Is God asking you that question today in your life? Hey, what are you doing where you're at? What's going on? What's got you to the spot you're in? The state of mind you're in? Is God asking you that question today? How'd you get here? What's going on? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Elijah. And Elijah was not having it. So he decides to let God know how he feels in prayer. Verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah may have been given to a little bit of hyperbole, but that's okay. That's the kind of person he was. Let's be honest now. That's what kind of made him cool when he was on topside. Like everything was bigger than life to Elijah. Fire from heaven! I'm the only one left. I mean, it was either really good or really bad with Elijah, right? He's like nowhere in the middle. And here's Elijah over here having this moment where now before he was like, God can do anything. Now he's like, God, just kill me. It's only me left. And that wasn't even true. There's a lot of people in the land who still worshiped God. Yes, many, many, many more didn't. But many worshiped God still. And yes, the kings were bad. But many still, there were still prophets of God. In fact, Obadiah just told him that he had a hundred in a caves that refused. He wasn't the only one left. Obadiah had a hundred more. And, and God mentions to him that he had 7,000 more. But you ever feel like sometimes you're the only one left? No one gets me. It's just me. That's where Elijah was. Superlative speaking. It's only me. It's all useless. It's all done. I'm the only one. And God, actually in this moment, takes Elijah and says, well, I think it's time to move the project along. So he gets Elijah to go off from there and anoint three people to be the next leaders, another king for Israel someday, another king for Syria, the neighboring nation. And then he basically gets Elijah to go anoint his own replacement. And Elijah goes and gets his own replacement from the story on. And he nearly never has another moment like this again. That's why James was saying to us in James 5, 17, Elijah was as human as we are. Look, maybe you can't relate to the old fire from heaven, Elijah. I said this last week. People might respect your strengths, but they resonate with your weaknesses. Can you resonate with Elijah? Are you that human? He was as human as we are. And yet, and yet what? Did he, he prayed. He prayed anyhow. Despite his humanity, despite his frailties, despite his struggles, despite his doubts, despite his depressions, despite whatever else was going on, despite his tendency to believe that it was only him and nobody else, as human as he was, he prayed. And you can too. And as we go home today, I want to remind you of a statement that I want you to write down or take a picture of it or take a screenshot if you're online. Take this statement home with you today. And that goes like this. Any person can ask big things 
of a great God. Any person can ask big things of a great God. Any person, big or small, tall or short, thin or not as much, handsome and beautiful or not as much, talented, clumsy, any race, any gender, any person, nerd, jock, anybody, any person. doesn't matter who the person is. See, but I'm, I don't think I'm that big of a deal. doesn't matter. Any person can ask big things. We can ask things bigger than ourselves, bigger than we think. We can ask big things because we're asking them of a great God. And the key in the story is not how big we think we are, the key in the story is how great our God is. And as long as we have a great God, we can ask big things because it's not about our size. It's on the other side of the big things that matters. And the other side of the big things from us is a great God. Any person can ask big things of a great God. I want you to remember that statement and three words. You say, okay, fine, Arlen, I get it. How? Three things that Elijah showed us. First one is this. How do you pray? You pray bold. Any person can do this. Pray bold. Bold praying means bold praying. Here's what bold praying means. We don't pray bold prayers. We pray very safe prayers. The most of our prayers are like, God, help me to find my keys. Help me to find my keys. They're missing. Nothing wrong with praying for God to help you find your keys. I've prayed it myself, you know. God's like, you know what God says to you? The same thing your mom says to you. Where's the last place you left them? If I knew that, I would have my keys, you know. But that's what we pray. We don't pray bold prayers. We pray, Lord, keep me safe as I drive down the road. Nothing wrong with praying for safety. I do it. We were reminded recently in our church how fragile the highways can be. Things happen. But here's what we were, God, as I drive my car with dual uh, airbags and side impact bars and safety features, God, please keep me safe as I follow the posted speed limits. And it's a good prayer to pray. But that's as bold as we get. We're missing the mark. If bold praying for us is, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. Lord, bless this food that's been approved by the FDA to the nourishment of my body. Lord, bless these Doritos. Actually, that might be a bold prayer if you could bless those somehow to your body. But, you know, when do we pray it's bold? I think sometimes it's because our faith is frail. We don't want to say it. But, but we're afraid if we ask something big of God and he can't come through, it will prove what we're afraid is true, and that is that he's not real. We're afraid to pray bold because it will expose what we really secretly don't want to admit it, we doubt. And that is that God can do anything. If we pray safe prayers, if we pray safe prayers, then we can kind of hedge our bets and God might come out looking okay. And our fragile faith might stay intact. So our prayers are consigned to things like, Lord, help me find my sunglasses. Oh, wait, what was that? Oh, thanks. My God is so big. I found my sunglasses on my head. Nothing wrong with praying. Where's the bold prayer? And I don't mean bold like, okay, God, where's my Lamborghini? When Ferrari? I don't mean that. Elijah's prayers are not for him. They're saying, God, be big in this world. Be big for other people. Show how great you are. Bring them back to you. Do it for them. Do it for the world. He was praying bold prayers for something much bigger than himself. And where's our prayers as Christians for bold things? You want to know why we don't see great power and wonderful results in prayer? We're not praying earnest prayers with boldness. We pray safe, simple prayers to a safe, small God that are not even worthy of stretching his boundaries. Pray bold. Number two, passionate. Passionate. 
What did Elijah do? Oh, God, answer me. Answer me, God. I believe in passionate prayer. What does that mean? Passionate prayer means this. It means that when we go, it means that we go to God in prayer knowing that his will be done. We enter prayer saying your will be done. And then we pray. And if God closes the door or changes the plan, we trust his will. But in the meantime, we pray with passion. I think we should pray with passion. It's okay in the middle of waiting for God to show us his will. It's okay to go to God like a lawyer to the jury making your case to the judge. Or like a teenager going to their parents begging for, to go to the activity they want to go to. The parents said no. Hey, God, let me go. Passion, like you're wrestling with God. Where's the passion in our prayers? Usually the passion in our prayers are for ourselves. If we're in trouble, we pray passionate. If other people are in trouble, we're like, well, God, help the world, save people, do whatever, if it's your will. We should pray every prayer for everything out there, everything that God wants to do, with the same passion that we pray if it was us in trouble. Oh, God, please move like Elijah. God, answer, show the world, make a difference, do something big, do it through me. Bold prayers, passionate prayers. Thirdly, persistent prayers. Persistent is the third word. Elijah went several times, seven times he prayed and, and made a spectacle of himself praying for God to send that rain. I know that was all in one setting, but it's symbolic of a big truth about God. That whether it takes you seven days or seven weeks or seven months or seven years, persistence pays off until God closes that door and we accept his will, until God closes that boundary and we know he has a different plan for us, you just pray and pray and pray until God says otherwise persistently. Or as Jesus once taught, you ask and ask and ask and seek and seek and seek and knock and knock and knock and the door will be opened unto you. But God's looking for some bold, passionate, persistent prayer. And that kind of prayer, the earnest prayer of a person right with God, a person with, with their faith in God, praying bold, passionate, persistent prayers, man, that's got great power. That produces wonderful results. And that's what I want you to take home with you today, that any person, any of you in this room, any of you online, any of you listening to this recording down the road in a podcast, any person can ask big things because we're asking them of a great God. And the prayers are only too big when they're bigger than our God. Anyone can ask big things of a great God. Here's the good news. He's bigger than we thought. Let's cast all of our cares on him.